0: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully.
1: Jules Gill, it's the UBP, the UBP the UBP it is, it is a beautiful time for video games all left, right and centre, all sorts of different showcase announcement and ting, so we'll get through as many as we can, I'm Scott Tilford, you are Jules Gill, I've already said that, but I do this every time, um, let's get through as many questions as possible, the UBP is where you can submit whatever you'd like us to talk about it can be video game related, it can be serial related, you'll just have to wait and see how many different questions we get through first question is from Jack Asbury who says did anyone else get a cold shiver down their spine when it was announced that starfield would have over a thousand planets to visit now jules we haven't really talked about starfield mm-hmm. very much but what's your thoughts on the old bethesda in space
2: So, uh, as we all know, this is probably going to be another Bethesda game. So, you know, like massive, (laughs) like open spaces, lots to explore, lots of granularity and just sort of like mooching about, picking up stuff, uh, (laughs) (laughs) filling your space trousers full of as much dirt and grime as possible. Um, I'm very much looking forward to this game. Uh, Don't get me wrong. I feel like Bethesda have taken a bit of a swing and a miss with the Mm -hmm. likes of Fallout 76 and maybe the way that they handled Fallout 4. I do think that they are capable of making a great game and I hope that Starfield is going to be that game. However, when people are like, oh, it's going to have like a thousand different locations to um, explore and a thousand different planets, if they go and make all of that feel unique, if they take it so that the procedural generated nature... Of those planets, isn't like, oh look, it's a blue world. Oh, here's yeah. a green world. It's a jungle then, yeah, one. yeah, then I feel like it will actually have longevity beyond any sort of rational belief, because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, they want you playing this game non-stop. Yeah, I mean, if people- they if they turn it into like levels, though, mm-hmm. they might get they like so you know you would go exploring the Mojave and new mm. vegas you'd come across a door you click a door it opens up the mini dungeon if planets are mini dungeons then i still think that, that is a huge amount of content but i also feel better about it because i personally don't want to traipse around an empty lifeless world that is procedurally generated so it all feels kind of the same and mm. just don't, like i feel like that will actually set the game back mm. that in my eyes makes a game feel more constricted because all i see are the gameplay mechanics going hey look i uh, algorithmically <laughs> <laughs> they Algorithmically, yes, decided to put a puddle here.
1: Uh, Yeah, uh, let's put a cave here. It was like the Mass Effect approach was just sort of like I think they did initially proceed to regenerate the original Mass Effect planets and then kind of like lock them down, let's say, Mm -hmm. as opposed to No Man's Sky generates them on the fly every time or whatever. And but I just, yeah, this whole thing they've said that there are, I think, four big metropolis cities um, across, I guess, or four main sort of hub worlds or whatever, and then you've got a thousand planets overall, but they haven't said or they haven't really detailed how they've generated these planets. I don't mm-hmm. think that they will be handcrafted. I think maybe there'll be aspects that are handcrafted. But like I know what Asbury means about the Cold Shiver thing, because even in the reveal, I was like, well, we've been here. This was what No Man's Sky tried to do initially. Yeah. And although that game got there, and I love No Man's Sky, um, yeah, I just think that, I mean, there's no way that they've handcrafted a thousand planets, even though this game has been in development for like ten years. Um, I'll just be amazed if it has an authored feel across that much content. Or if we even, I mean, the average player, are they going to see a thousand planets? Like yeah, 20 that, that maybe?
2: is a that is a very good point as to is it necessary for a thousand planets to exist? (laughs) Like, don't get me wrong, I'm all for getting more bang for your buck, Mm. but sometimes, imagine if you were a a writer or a designer and you, like, diligently worked for weeks and weeks of your life on one planet Mm -hmm. that may never get seen. Like, admittedly, down the line, the sort of, like, uh, uh, exploration of, like, Mm -hmm. all the gamers would make that planet become unearthed and they would share it online for all to see. But at the same time, that's kind of not what the game is about like in that
1: sense I think they could do with kind of because they got out there and they said you know you're part of some sort of intergalactic police force type thing uh, going across the galaxy doing all these different um, missions and stuff but like Todd Howard also just said it's Skyrim in space and obviously they've added (laughs) um, spaceship customization base building and uh, waypoint finding and everything else but I kind of just I want to know what else they've done that's new like I want to know what makes this not Skyrim in space essentially what's the thing that only this game can do and maybe that's the exploration but I don't know
2: would it annoy you if it was just Skyrim and space because I mean it's one of the biggest selling mm. games ever it's been so well received people love the fact like and this is no offense to people they love the formulaic approach of go here start right. that pick that up like like, yes it's very repetitive but it's a kind of uh, mindset that once
1: you get into you can lose thousands of hours if you like that's true I mean I, that's the thing I've played Skyrim I mean every version they've put out I've played I have it on Switch I have it on Xbox I've got the other I just got on Steam deck the other day so it's like I, yeah I just I feel like we've done that I don't necessarily mm need a reskinned Skyrim again, um, and I hope it has like a more distinct feel. Although when they showed the conversation animations, I was like, oh, okay, this is this is that engine again. This is that yeah. junk. This is that terrible lip syncing thing mm-hmm. and everything mm-hmm. else. Mm-hmm. And so it's a traditional Bethesda game. Obviously they've removed the voiced protagonist for After Fallout 4's whole thing, and they're Good. going back to <laughs> they go back to like a mute protagonist. And um, so I think it'll have like a vintage feel to it. So I don't but- know. I'm I'm a bit mixed on it.
2: But then we already have um, the Outer Worlds, um, which have managed to show that uh, Skyrim in space, or in this case, New Vegas in space, because Mm -hmm. it's obviously the dev team behind that, can work incredibly well mm-hmm. if it's that. If it's that sort of quality writing, that sort of character development, that sort of like combat slickness, then I'm very interested. But I know that it will probably, like you say, come with a bit of Bethesda jank. I'm expecting a space mm-hmm. giant to launch me on into the moon. If you
1: like. <laughs> To be fair, that maybe this that would work a lot better in Starfield than it did in uh, Elder Scrolls, <laughs> yeah, kicking you off an entire planet. <laughs> but <laughs> have to wait and see. Um, next question from Jacob Wright, who says, "With Resident Evil 4 remake officially announced, are there any parts of the?" The original you reckon they'll cut or rework I hope they leave the merchant untouched that's the oh, one thing oh. that has to stay but they've changed the tone so much that I don't even I know how it fits anymore
2: if they because the thing is is that it uh, when uh, village came out mm-hmm. it got the biggest pop when that version of the merchant came out Everyone was like <laughs> yes mate it's kind of another of it character time. it's a bit weird like if they get rid of the merchant I'll be absolutely gutted because he's endlessly <laughs> quotable he's like even though he's so sinister by the fact that he just arrives and sells you weapons yeah. at, at, towards the end of the game you're like he is my mate right. I would do anything to save this guy <laughs> so yeah I,
1: like, you know they've changed the time of the day like most of it takes mm-hmm. place at night right now like there's obviously new character models and stuff um, I think they'll keep him Um, I just, I just wonder like I, one of the things I loved the most about RE4 was how campy it was it was how yeah. kind of fun it was and overblown and everything thing and it kind of did have like if you play the original resident evil 4 now the amount of like codec conversations you have kind of give it like a metal gear yeah. feel and um, which in itself is a very campy over overblown franchise and i think that new capcom is aiming more for like re- actual horror like the resident evil 2 remake largely you, uh, plays it quite straight
2: really though because i feel like um the way that capcom is progressing as a company is very strange mm. you've got the resident evil 2 and 3 remake which really tried to dial down on the horror elements maybe mm. 3 delved a bit too close to Resident Evil 6 action sort of thing but when you look at the new games like 7 and Village they've gone for a kind of like over the top Fast and Furious vibe because I I have to admit when I was playing through Village did not get scared a single time I I I I was like oh this is just a monster. I, I, and like a monster <laughs> in the daylight that I can see. and Something I, I'm transforming not... again. Yeah, and they're all like trying to do like weird catchphrases or have memorable moments and it's just kind of like, mate, stop being a buzzword. Come on, mate.
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. I think that, um, that, that's the thing. For the RE4 remake, it feels like they're getting back to RE2. There was a whole thing about the development yeah. teams being switched around and this has been given to the RE2 team. Um, I think they're called M-Studio or something. And it mm-hmm. seems like that's what they're kind of do. It's like, do what we did with RE2 for RE4. And it's like Resident Evil 2's remake was like immaculate and kind of had a really great atmosphere and everything and then for me the, yeah 3 was like the big action fest it was only like 2 yeah. hours long and then yeah like you said Village was over the top as much two. as possible to go back to
2: the question of what I think will be cut, I do think, unfortunately, that we're going to lose a few of the moments that are just pure banter and over the top. Like, do you remember <laughs> the um, the giant mechanical statue that chases you and like yeah. uh, you've got to use to climb up the, his hands and stuff like that? I feel like that's going to go. Mm-hmm. I feel like um, just because was
1: that of the giant that... that El Gigante as well is oh, you you reckon that El Gigante is going to go? No, I don't no, know. No, no. Does he, he was he was anymore? he
2: was iconic? He was all over the marketing posters for when yeah. the game comes out. If they cut him, I'll be fuming. That if whole they whole cut the dog you could save
1: that comes and helps
2: you with the battle. I'll be pissed. (laughs) I will be pissed, mate.
1: That game as well. um, Back in the day when QuickTime events were like, oh my god, I'm controlling the cinematic. This is the next stage of gaming. I wonder if that's the thing that they tweak because QuickTime events have had their day in the sun and then Mm -hmm. rotted and wilted and then it's like, do you include them? Do we have button mashing stuff? I don't know.
2: Now you say that, but the battle with uh, Krauser, where it was nearly 90% QTE that led into the boss battle, I was thoroughly engaged with that. That True. was the one of the few times where I thought that QTEs were used really well because of the fact that I was on edge the entire time. Mm. And obviously any single mistake could see uh, Leon just get completely destroyed. Mm-hmm. But thinking about a modern gaming audience and how Capcom are approaching stuff, I possibly will have to concede that Leon may walk through that walkway, get attacked by Krauser in a cutscene, and then the battle will begin there. Maybe mm. move outside with him morphing. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not complaining because when capcom put their minds to it they can do a good boss battle I haven't seen one in a long time but they can <laughs> do a good boss battle every once in a while
1: yeah I think it's I mean, that was the thing especially as well in terms of like an opening tone that can become something else over time like the end of RE2 does go crazy like you're fighting mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. super mutated William Birkin and the very end of that when you're taking him on on the train and everything yeah that's um, fun you know, so they can sort of kind of go there and RE, for me RE7's very final fight was the weakest part in that whole game where you're fighting like the super mutated oh, yes, Jack Baker yeah, and he's yeah. like all oily and he's got eyes all over him and I was like yeah. ah this isn't as well i got what out as the rest of it
2: i got a big bang of frank fontaine from the end yes. of bioshock then because it was just so like oh you can only injure me in certain times oh you can only do this and i'm like ah. Oh, well don't the rest like of this. it is
1: so well done as well like yeah. so well thought out yeah i'm very curious about resident evil 4 um the remake because they've called it something else like they called it a reimagining or reawakening they called it yeah so it's like the original does exist they acknowledge that this is just something else
2: the one thing that i did think and obviously this is pure speculation uh, <laughs> from a RE fan who is deeply in love with Resident Evil 4. Mm-hmm. What if this reawakening, reimagining, whatever we're going to call it, actually takes some of the concept elements for Resident Evil 4 that were demoed oh, way yeah. back before? Because remember the Mirror Man? And Are the, the like, ghost were, guys at the same Yeah, the, go, the like, they like appear out of paintings and stuff that yeah. they teased in very, very early demos for this game. What if they include those sections back? Holy cow like there's a lot of sections of Resident Evil 4 that are iconic but they could make this game like above and beyond the best experience mm. if they reward fans who have supported it from the very early days who were hyped to see those like mirror man ghost men whatever we want to call them <laughs> but then we're so saddened to see them get cut yeah but in terms of like losing stuff i personally could lose the mine sections i don't like oh mine God, levels yeah. like like going on the mine cart all the time <laughs> and having that sort of on the rail <laughs> sections where you got to go through there's some weird bits inside the castle as well where do you remember it just becomes hell and there's like yeah. lava and giant like gates it's like maybe we tone that (laughs) side down but we make sure we keep stuff like the regenerators and the um the blind um, uh, Ganados who have their swords for hands yes. and, they, and they run around smashing swords those sort of things gotta stay God, maybe man, some of I... the like weird elements go
1: yeah my, my memories of Resident Evil 4 had completely blanked the mind stuff that you just said and the lava stuff <laughs> I only think of the good stuff <laughs> I wonder yeah. if when they're trying to reimagine it if they start thinking like well people aren't going to want these things back anyway so we can just kind of uh, skip over them uh, but next question from Willie Rea, who says this week's UBP just got supernovaed it's a resident sorry it's now reborn as a Final Fantasy VII podcast. and um, The is. Square Enix um, Final Fantasy VII livestream 25th anniversary thing was last night when we record this. And I thought, because all the rumours were they're just going to announce a remake of Crisis Core, which is the PSP uh, mm-hmm. game where you play as Fair. There's a whole thing mm-hmm. about Final Fantasy VII story that's a different character, whatever. And one of the rumours was that they would announce that. And I was like, well, it's only 10 minutes long. I bet they come out and they just go, ah, Crisis Core's getting remade, that's really cool. And people like me go, that's amazing, awesome, thank you. But... Yep. They announced the whole next part of the Final Fantasy VII remake, and it's called Rebirth. And there's like there was like a in-game thing with Cloud walking with Sephiroth, and like whatever. What did you think of all this stuff before I do a weird fanboy spurt?
2: I was super, super excited because I feel like uh, as much as you could throw stones at the uh, the Final Fantasy VII Remake for changing mm. a lot of what made our childhood moments so iconic mm. with the original game, it doesn't replace it. Like, and canonically, no. yes, it will do because they are saying that this re- reimagining is the one that they're going to take going forward. But yeah. we will have those memories of what the original game was, what it meant to us and how it happened. So those two games can exist side by side. Mm. So love the expansion with Yuffie as well and I I thought it was amazing and so I am so hyped for the second part knowing that it is actually just going to be a trilogy though Mm -hmm. I was a bit like I don't know how to express my feelings on that because I was very excited knowing that there will be a definitive end point because I was worried that it would just be lost to time immemorial Mm. but... I am a bit like, oh god, this is a lot of content. You're gonna have to rush through well, to get through this in
1: three in two games now. Yeah, assumedly, this middle game will be like the the open world game essentially, because mm-hmm. that's kind of what they've been showing with the Cloud Sephiroth stuff. Because like the original game, like it's all the Midgar stuff, then it's the open world stuff, and then you do a lot of that, and then eventually it closes back down, and you do all the the sort of final fight stuff. And I wonder if that's how they'll split it, and not to do like two bigger spoilers for Final Fantasy VII, but something happens in that game that changes the world state towards the second third yes. anyway. Something yeah. in the sky, let's say. And uh, I wonder if that'll be the end of this now middle instalment, where they go, oh my God, this is like a cliffhanger for the second, third, or the the beginning of the final act, and that's what the final game is. Yeah, Um, But yeah, one of the things that's interesting is that they said that this um, could be your first Final Fantasy. It was like, oh, you know, anyone can just jump in on this new one. I'm like, they won't know what's going on.
2: The alarm bell started ringing majorly then, because I was like, that... In a, right, okay, so you've got a game <laughs> that, let's face it, is rushing to tell a story now, a bit, and we're yeah. already uh, worried about what content it's going to have to concede on in order to get that story out the door. If they are saying that this could be the first game for you to jump back in on, then that means that the first hour or two of this game is going to be hmm. absolute bollocks, because it's just going to be like <laughs> recapping, tutorial-heavy, absolute nightmare fuel for people who've Maybe. already played through this, where they just go, hey, let's re-establish everything that we went over mm-hmm. in the first game to make sure that everyone's caught up to speed. And if they do that, I'm going to be like, please, just get to the bit where I can actually play the new
1: game. Well, the thing, the thing that breaks my mind, I need to like get my thoughts down on paper because they've used up so many plot points from the original Final Fantasy VII, including that game's ending at the end yeah. of the first third yeah. of the remake. <laughs> yeah. So (laughs) like That's really weird. And then Tetsuya Nomura, who's the creative director of the original, stepped back and is a different person directing this next installment, but he's still the creative director of the overall trilogy. So, assumedly, he had something in mind for all this stuff. But then the trailer that we saw last last night was all about Tifa saying, am I an imposter? You remember me from five years ago? Whatever. And I'm like, you're doing all this weird, tiny-wimey alternate reality stuff, which kind of plays into the fact, the fan theory, that the original remake from 2019 or whatever is in itself, or 2020, is in itself a sequel to the original game because Aerith is remembering stuff that she did in the original game so like it's just so blown yeah. up and ridiculous um and i'm kind of there for it but i'm also like i really hope you guys know what you're doing because like yeah it's all over the place
2: now square enix love to tell themselves a uh, a long convoluted story mm. full of uh, lots of flash forwards flashbacks flashing whoever apparently um <laughs> and i worry that uh, with the amount of narrative weight and expectation that's only going to build and build and build with this that we might see a lot of people pretty angry with this second installment as mm. he said obviously he's not the creative helm of this directly but he will have had input yes but we all know what happens with people who just have input mm-hmm. it can be ignored well plus and, uh,
1: is mr kingdom hearts one of the most notoriously impossible <laughs> to follow franchises of all time yeah.
2: I still love the fact that one of the very like there's many, many videos out there for Kingdom Hearts where it's mm. like, oh, Kingdom Hearts plot is easy to explain. You're just dumb. Look at the video like <laughs> 37 minutes.
1: It's like, yeah. Oh, is it now? Oh, is it now? Well, I think that's I, I, part of me kind of wonders if that's what they want Final Fantasy 7 to be. And um, because Final Fantasy 7 in itself has kind of become this little cottage industry inside Square Enix. Like they, they have four Final Fantasy 7 games on the go right now.
2: Um, yeah, we should talk about that in a minute. Actually, because yeah. that's that's a bit bonkers. It's in
1: kind of crazy, and like I'm like, well, it's one of my favorite games of all time. I loved it, grew up with it, whatever. I I'm there for it, but I'm mm-hmm. also like, oh my god, guys, like this is kind of insane. Like there is Ever Crisis, which is the another remake of the original game, plus Crisis Core, but in sort of more chibi style uh, graphics, and it yep. plays more like the original game. But it's filled with what looks like microtransactions because there's lots of, Boo. Um, yeah, lots of loot and clothing options and different weapons and different party members that people didn't have at that point in the story in the original. So that's whatever Crisis is. Then there's the Final Fantasy VII Battle Royale, which is First Soldier. Which <laughs> right?
2: Uh, do you know what though? I've actually been hearing of people that it's not bad. It like it it's, well it's, well it's enough, yeah. yeah, it's not great in the mm. sense of it's not a revolutionary change in the world. But a lot of people who've been playing it go like, yeah, absolutely functional, <laughs> works fine. Don't have to spend that much money if at all if you want to get through this so mm-hmm. yeah fine i'm oh, yeah. sure it's
1: fine and it's i think it's been out in japan for a little while now because they announced the fourth season as part of the live stream and mm-hmm, i was like mm-hmm. is there even been a first season but i think it's been out <laughs> for a while um and then they've also got the crisis call remake which is um the psp game but it's done in the final fantasy 7 yeah. remake engine and then right. we have the final fantasy 7 remake part 2
2: so this is where my uh, conspiracy theory alarm goes off <laughs> again because as you've mentioned before he's mr kingdom hearts yes. he knows how to tell a story that uh requires people to play Let's remember, Scott, a lot of additional content outside of the main storyline games. Yep. And I'm thinking, and slightly worrying, uh-huh. that Crisis Core's remake is going to flesh out the story of the remakes that are going alongside it. Oh, totally. Meaning you'll have to play them as well. I think hey! that's why
1: like, Crisis Core is this year, and then the yep. remake is next year, and why Zack was all over the trailer um, for the remake part two. Mm-hmm. Because that's that's what blows my mind, because Zack was not a huge part of the original game. That's why he was such a big twist. Yes, but now, Exactly. He's exactly. everything. He's just all over the marketing. He's all, And he was all over the end of the original part one. So I get, I mean, I've talked to Josh about it, who's never played the original game, who doesn't know anything about Zach Fair. Mm-hmm, and he mm-hmm. just kind of doesn't know what's coming. And so it's kind of working for him, where he's like really excited about what's going to happen and whatever. But I just, for someone who knows the original text, it's like if you took a book and just shotgunned it and then picked up various pieces. yeah. And you sort of go like, well, we'll kind of make this attached to this and whatever. I just, it breaks me. It absolutely breaks me me and i hope they do it justice uh, but i guess we'll find out uh, more towards the end of this yeah um uh, nyc says do you feel that the xbox 12 month roadmap of releases is enough to overcome the lack of high profile exclusives Do the amount sorry do the day one game pass releases mean enough or do exclusives mean more and also we had pg quips saying xbox showcase hits different with game pass it's not here's some games that might interest you it's literally here's all the games that you will have mm-hmm. if you subscribe to that
3: service I'll see you all soon
1: um, yeah what do you think of this stuff because they obviously they have Starfield coming out they have Redfall that got delayed and um, they showed some footage of uh, Forza but they mm-hmm. haven't really dipped in and said this is what's happening with Perfect Dark or this is what's next from Rare or whatever um, is the bulk of Game Pass enough I
2: think that it's a very different approach that possibly will see them uh, gain a lot of support uh, because mm-hmm. telling people exactly like these are all the games that are coming out and you will be able to play all of them before the end of next year mm-hmm. I was like okay okay that's actually cool I now have something to look forward to that I have a definitive release date on I mean yes it was sad uh, I was sad not to see some of uh, the other IPs get some love or see where things are developing but I actually like the idea of knowing what I've got coming up I can schedule yeah. my time a bit better and start looking forward to oh cool this game is coming out soon so mm-hmm. there we go
1: I think like, it works as well like like um, PG Quip said in terms of it makes the showcase hit different where you kind of yeah. you're watching it realizing you already quote unquote own everything they're showing it's just up to you whether you want to in or not Mm -hmm. and um that is a hell of a a value proposition um so i I like the way that it's sort of coming together but i'm i'm curious what spearheads there like why would you buy a series x let's say because it's like i want to get it for game pass but you could get on series s you could even get that on samsung tvs which they announced um all the new models of samsung tvs are going to let you pair a controller to them and just stream it through there so yeah it is is a weird trade-off i guess they're (sighs) so aware of that
2: I think it's because they are really looking to double down on their stranglehold of hmm. the street of gaming streaming services, obviously with PlayStation moving into the market uh, very soon. Mm. Um, I think that by capturing audience interest as much as possible, by telling them that these are the games they're going to get on Game Pass to basically add value uh, or mm. perceived value to that product mm. is a very smart thing. Hammering home that image of day one game pass, day one game pass, day mm-hmm. one game pass, you're going to walk away thinking, hell, I better get a day one game pass. I mean, yeah. uh, don't get me wrong, if you've invested in a, uh, a Xbox console recently, I'd be furious because <laughs> of the fact that, like, I'd be like, oh, well, what's going on here? Because as a PC player, right, I get right. the benefits of your games mm-hmm. for a fraction of the price. And no offense, they play better half the time. Better. So, so it's a case of like, I, I do feel for the uh, console owners in that sense, but at the mm. same time, it's a very shrewd move from uh, Microsoft to just keep, like I say, keep adding value to uh, a library that is
1: already swollen with content. Yeah, it's ridiculous. The thing is, the, the Game Pass magic did work for me very recently. In fact, last night, where me and you talked about the TMNT Shredders Revenge oh, yes. and I was yeah, debating yeah. buying that. And I literally just happened to fire up my Xbox last night and it was just sitting there on Game Pass. And I was like, oh, okay, I just have this now. This is cool. <laughs> this saves me £20 or whatever it is. And I can just dive into it. And I think that's what they need to do a lot more of. It's sort of but it has that weird knock-on effect. I was talking to a friend the other day who says they just don't buy games anymore. Because if you wait yes. a couple of weeks it'll be, it'll on be there pass. Yeah. Um, or it'll at least get a trial or a free weekend or whatever um, and it puts them off buying uh, day one so I think that's an interesting conversation as to why would you even buy day one when you're getting the worst version of a game anyway which is something that we've always said anyway yeah. um, so-, so it is strange
2: so what we're doing now is we're um, we're placing reliance upon that one app, that one mm. streaming service, because we think to ourselves, I'm not going to spend money. I'm going to, air quotes, save money by mm. getting it on Game Pass. Now, Microsoft is obviously laughing because at the end of the day, you're still paying dribs and drabs of a fiver, seven quid, ten quid, whatever it is a month, whichever plan you're on. Mm-hmm. And it is making that money every single month. You are paying for those games. You are paying for them at just a fraction Mm. of the price in installments. And it's the biggest con job in the world to, uh, you you don't own those games. You can never trade them in, you can never uh, place things, you stop subscribing, you lose access. Like Mm. it's, we all know this stuff. It's Mm. very obvious that this is how this uh, system works. But buying in, Starts meaning that you start defending the idea of buying it. Starts meaning that you are team Xbox. Starts uh-huh. pushing forward a new type of console war, which is the stream war. Which is That's who is going to offer the most content and the most perceived value of that library Mm
1: -hmm. the thing is I do think it is unbelievable value for money but I totally agree on the longevity side of it or on the conservationist side of it where video game history doesn't really have a place like it it, depends its place is whether it's on that service or not I think that's an interesting thing and in regards to new releases especially new Xbox releases and the amount of games that don't get physical releases because they're tied to digital IP or digital services so whether or not you have anywhere to access that specific thing um, is whether or not that game exists in 10 years time or 15 years time years' time, but it's like you've, a whole future thing.
2: You've also got to us uh, looking ahead and thinking, okay, so this is the model that we're going to be tied into for years and years and years to come. Mm. What's to stop Microsoft just going, cool, right, you're all on board, and now we're hiking the price. You'll still well, they've, probably, they've
1: probably pay. A, a, a quid, I think.
2: And that's the thing. They're going to keep hiking the price. They're mm. going to keep doing that because in the long run, it's going to make them millions just overnight just by pre- just changing one, uh, oh, yeah. figure, one figure on it.
1: So it's like... Well, that was what Netflix sort of figured out. Yeah, and obviously they, yeah. they raised it so much that people went, actually, I don't want to stay subscribed to you. There's not enough stuff. So they've just um, got to
2: find that sweet spot and they're going to keep yeah.
1: pushing until they do. I think once um, the likes of Starfield Land or they have something that says, this is Xbox exclusive, come play this game. Um, and it, it turns heads, let's say, in the way that something like a Horizon or a Last of Us does, then they have more weight to go, well, actually, we need to like, bump this price up because it is this premium level game, but mm-hmm. they're not really there yeah, um but yeah i do i still think that, that game pass is the best value for money in gaming it's just that it's a, a bit of a weird trade-off in terms of what you like, like jules said what you actually own and what you yeah. actually have access to because those things time out every few months anyway um next question uh, from darren barkley who says i played Silent hill 2 around the time it released and i haven't touched it since i can barely remember any of the actual game but i remember the feelings and emotions it conjured as if it was yesterday do either of you have any games like that
2: I bloody love Silent Hill too. I know that you said that you haven't like uh, played it in absolute ages. Not since man, it came out, yeah. What a game, man!
1: Just well, so the thing. It's good. kind of like the way that Barkley said it. Where I, I remember the opening. I remember the, the nurse mm-hmm. that stumbles towards you. I remember walking through the town, and I remember kind of how wonky the combat was. But I, I remember the final. I remember the two pyramid heads. at one point. Yeah yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. Um,
1: so it's fractions of a memory. But I mean, it's twenty years, twenty years ago now. <laughs>
2: I mean, in terms of like uh, lifelong gaming memories, I will always remember being over at my cousin Neil's house and uh, playing Resident Evil 1 for the first time. And that moment when the FMV kicks in and the zombie turns around for the first time is something that will forever be with me. Like, I I don't care how scared I am in the future and what new scares the likes of Resident Evil hell and even a new Silent Hill, who knows, down the line might conjure up. Mm -hmm. That moment there will stick with me forever because it was just like i was put into a catatonic state (laughs) of shock by that one one fmb and nowadays it looks it looks ridiculous rubbish but at that point in time for yeah. you
1: though. Yeah, it It brings it up to speed um, for me it's yeah tons of stuff on the PS1 I remember Ape Escape thinking the control scheme was phenomenal yeah. I mean I played that when I was way younger um, and I remember like coming home on the bus getting Manhunt going like oh my god this is like the most controversial oh, thing man. Yeah. available <laughs> right now and I like, begged my mum to go let me buy it um, from one of the shopping centres and then she, we like were coming back on the bus because um, we didn't have a car that day or whatever so I remember things like that um, like the original Metal Gear Solid Final Fantasy 7 like me and one of my friends used to get through Final Fantasy 7 after school every day we'd come home we'd make cheese toasties and we'd sit down with our little glasses of coke and cheese toasties and play that's Final amazing <laughs> The was childlike video game memory ever and um, but yeah so things like that even though I do now have a working memory of Final Fantasy 7 but that's what it used to be it used to be the cheese toasty game for a good do, few years
2: do you know what it is though I tie a lot of my video game memories at least early ones to uh, friendships uh, and relationships that I had at the mm. time with mm-hmm. people so it's a case of like one that is like so dear to my heart is uh, my friend Liam who I grew up grew up with, went to school with, absolute legend. Uh, big shout out if you listen to this, uh, mate. Um, oh. He and I used to go to school on the Wednesday and then Wednesday would be our sports days. I have no idea if this is like a common thing like in I think uh, Thursday was schools. our sports
1: day, yeah.
2: Like you'd have half lessons and then after yeah. lunch you'd go and do sports effectively. And I was one with of,
1: reverse which was stupid. You would get all sweaty and then have to try and sit down in maths uh, just that, sort of sitting and,
2: uh, Your uh, your school did you dirty there, man? That's that's horrible.
1: So what we did was after lunch,
2: uh, our sport of choice in the summer was swimming Mm -hmm. uh, because you got like a different choices each time. So we'd go to the local pool because our school wasn't posh enough to have a swimming pool. We didn't know, Um, and so we'd go there, uh, swim for a bit, and then the teacher would always just be like there for an hour and then leave. So you'd effectively have a free period to either do training or you could go home. Mm -hmm. We'd always choose to go home because catch the bus back to his go get uh, um, Mm -hmm. like get some like snacks or like pop or whatever. Cheese
1: strings, my friend. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. And then we go and, no, his weird thing was, he was like Josh Brown and he liked having <laughs> yeah. um, Nesquik. He'd open up those uh, bourbon biscuits, right? Uh-huh. You know, the ones with the chocolate on the yeah, inside. Yeah, yeah. And, he'd, and he'd put Nesquik on there and then close it back up again. <laughs> chocolate on chocolate, mate. <laughs> anyway. Yeah,
1: like uh, putting the chicken mayo inside the burger of uh, I, 1995. Mate,
2: I think he used to dip it into Nutella. He was not a healthy boy actually that's, thinking no, about that's, this. I mean, that's, that's in, That is ingenuity. overload. Yeah. Overload of chocolate. Anyway, right, so we, uh, we <laughs> He'd get the snack the very unhealthy snack apparently mm-hmm. and then just go and play halo 2 because uh, it was oh, like um uh, he had he had xbox live and i didn't so it was like living vicariously through his internet and he right. like, would play that for so long that mm-hmm. every single week without fail there would be a phone call at his house his mum would come up to the steps and be like julian your mum's phoning you she's asking you where you are and i'm like
1: <laughs> oh i need to go home i need to go home <laughs> like, and the exact same thing on those early days of xbox live where like obviously when it as a service we were all sort of feeling it out like okay well oh my god i can talk to people where are yeah. whatever else. I remember my dad going like you don't know you're not talking to someone who's right down the street who's been scoping you out for days I'm like well <laughs> true but also I don't think they'd be playing Splinter Cell but I could be wrong but like, my whole thing with that was playing Splinter Cell Pandora tomorrow online for the first oh, time on Xbox game. Live Um, That was the Spies and Mercs Yes And because um, That game They don't have it anymore now But when you used to um, Grab someone in a chokehold As a spy It opened the mic uh, Channel between you So you could
2: basically Whisper somebody I've got you now I've got you
1: now (laughs) Grab them and say Some horrible thing And then snap their neck Or whatever Um, And then the same thing With the Mercs I think in Chaos Theory Where they could pin you down um, And they could hold you down So then then the mic channel Was open So they could say something to you And then kill you So yeah I have all those memories I couldn't tell you The vast majority of Pandora tomorrow But I remember All the online stuff And all those Mm -hmm. initial memories and stuff. God, we're old, but it's been a good time. Um, next question from Isaac Squires, who says, shower foods, boiled eggs and a KFC drumstick go well because they can be messy anyways and water won't destroy the delicious flavours. Do you have any suggestions for other foods to eat in the shower? And then Isaac Squires um, replied to himself and said, uh, update, choc top ice cream goes brilliant in the shower. Now, I don't know if this man was high or drunk or both, but it's a UBP.
2: Mate, big love to you. That is a combo <laughs> wombo right he also there. Said thank
1: you from Australia. It's a massive shout out to um, Australia. Maybe shower foods are a thing in Australia? I don't know.
2: I mean, like, shower beers are definitely a thing yes. here in the UK. If you are getting ready and you're thinking, oh, man, I've not got enough, <laughs> my pre drinking is taking too long. Yes. Yes. Crack a can, crack a can, <laughs> and let's go. Um, That's a 7 pm thing. I personally have never eaten no. in the shower I no. don't think so at least I can't think of a lot of time that I, like I have you know, the
1: thing is I'm, I'm making a weird association with like water and food like if you swim on a stomach and full stomach or you've eaten you feel weird you feel queasy <laughs> like the food moves around because of all the weightlessness <laughs> I, I'm making that association I don't want food in the shower because it, it feels like it would make me ill even though yeah. it wouldn't but, I mean, uh, thing
2: is as well, like I've got, I've got like a bit of a dicky tummy from uh, mm. time to time, and like if I'm drinking, then sometimes like beer can exacerbate the situation. I just feel like very bloated, very like quite like sicky. Mm-hmm. So the and it all depends on what I've eaten before I have the beer. So mm. I always think to myself, I've oh, got to be careful, got to be fairly like light before I go out. So mm. if I'm there in the shower smashing the eggs and the KFC bucket, <laughs> I will get there, have one sip of like a pilsner, mm. and I'll be like, oh no, I'm oh done. no,
1: I'm going yeah, I've, back home, boys. gotta go. Go, gotta go. The whole thing about trying to have an ice cream in the shower—that's that, a, that's a technique. It's that's... warm water and a oh, <laughs> What is going on? That is a Maybe messy steamed ice cream, is a thing. But you could lean out of the jet and have a little little slurp, and then get back under like, the water again.
2: Thing is, as well, we've got to address the elephant in the room—the very right. uh, chocolate-covered elephant. Now, apparently, uh, this, <laughs> this lad who is coming from Australia, big mm-hmm. bless to you, my mm-hmm. friend. You are looking at your. <laughs> food choice uh, your your eating choices as a solution to a problem of that it's not messy do, okay, how messy you are that. you when you're eating in the first place no offense a boiled egg ain't that messy to begin with no. so unless you're smashing it
1: up your nostril i do not know what you are doing i do with love this. the reality of going well i'm going to i'm going to make an absolute mess of this i'm going to have to go and eat it in the shower just to make sure i can't yeah, possibly uh, do this anymore. Like, w-
2: what's for dinner oh spaghetti bolognese i'll pop it under the the, <laughs> the toilet
1: door and i'll i'll see to it i'll have it in the shower thanks very much. See you tomorrow. Do you
2: do you think that it's just because he probably wears like do you remember Andrew WK? Hell like, yeah He always used to wear like white t shirt, white jeans, sort of thing. Do you think <laughs> it's just because that's his style and he just wants Maybe. to keep it like Mr. Clean, fresh? That's good. It, but,
1: well, a little bit of a default stain, just something to sort of give him a bit of character. <laughs> he's not a bit too much. I'm gonna throw a little question in here to the food question um, and okay. from kind of from me, but from uh, you done messed up Aaron, who says, Jules, is Scott's recent cookie crisp pint of milk drink mad or is a genius, or dare I say mad genius? Now I don't know if you've seen I have I treated, not seen this. Please tell changed, me. I've changed the world. Now I went to a I'm shout out to a place uh, in the the northeast called Davies, um, who do um, it's like a, like a thick milkshake and they put cereal on top of it. And oh, I was nice! Like, oh my god, that's a that's a whole thing. I was like, I've been having cereal wrong my entire life, so I took a pint of milk and I put a cookie crisp on top of it, and that was it. And I was like, this is different. This is better because you can you can tip the milk a bit more if you just want a little bit Ooh. of the milk. You can have some dry cereal off the top, or you can monkey and glob the whole thing and get all of it in one go.
2: Okay, so let's options break this. What you've got options. Let's break this down because your <laughs> revolutionary idea of milk topped with cereal <laughs> inside a glass is the pint of is, milk with some cereal on it. It is just an inferior cereal bowl. You've just you've just made you've made more
1: steps <laughs> to eat your breakfast. Like, <laughs> well, you have? A, but no cereal bars. When they, when they started saying oh they come with milk, they absolutely do not. There's that weird little crusty bit. That they uh. say is milk. That's not milk. It's not liquid. It doesn't change over time. When I have the cereal, like in my one, my world, you end with a nice pint of chocolate milk.
2: But what if you like take it a step further and mm. it was ice cream with uh, uh, with cereal on top? Now because then, by the, because now, by the time you're holding it, it warms up at the bottom. and You get like a sludgy goodness that is like a bit thicker, obviously, uh-huh. than just pure milk. And you get, in your case, the cookie crisp. <laughs> but I, but I'm now thinking, right? let's try and come up with the best cereal milk combo style thing yeah. because like i'm a huge fan of cinnamon grahams okay. i think that they are possibly Ooh, are they, to me but I, i'm with you. either or either or mm-hmm. but with cinnamon grahams like one of my favorite like alcoholic beverages is a uh, disrano and almond milk because Very it nice. tastes just like it's just um i don't even know how to describe it it just tastes like bakewell tarts <laughs> it's it's <laughs> yeah. delicious it's so almond. if we can get that sort of like uh, cinnamon almondy flavour and make uh-huh. a Bakewell tart cereal drink. Uh-huh. Pitch that to your boys at Davies. Let's get, let's get the Scott so and Jules, the
1: UBP drink. There we why go. not? Your answer to this is that it is mad genius because you've just come up with something that's even I'm, better.
2: I, I'm involved. I'm invested. I thought that
1: it was a folly, <laughs> but now I am fully on board. Try drinking your cereals out of glasses of milk. I'm just saying, there's, there's no going back. Um, final question um, from the friend that shows you what not to do. Who says, uh, why do some games in a franchise never seem to get that much mention or love? For example, I personally love Zelda Twilight Princess, but it never gets any real acknowledgement. Is it because it's a Wii game, or it just doesn't get close in comparison to the others? Um, I never... I think Twilight Princess, people hate that thing, because it looks too realistic. It looks too much Zelda.
2: They they jumped quite a lot in terms of graphical mm. styles didn't they and in terms of tone as well they tried to tell a very edgy and dark well, story when, for link
1: do you remember when everyone hated wind wakers oh Zelda for kids and I was like Zelda's that
2: always not anno- for kids that annoyed me to no end especially seeing as it was those same people that were like oh of course I bought the HD re-release didn't need to be a HD re-release it's cell shaded mate
1: <laughs> that was the whole thing with that game they were like oh yeah it's just for kids it's, I'm not playing this where's my mature Zelda and it's like you mean the second half of Ocarina of Time when all grown up because when you were all Majora's Mask or Majora's is. Mask. So creepy and mature. Yeah, and I think for them, they played it when they were kids, and they were like, "This is the most mature thing I've ever played in the world." And then they looked at Wind Wicker, they went, "Oh my god, it looks like a fairy tale thing," which is what it should be, or could be. um And then Nintendo went, "Oh dear god, we're sorry. Here's your mature Zelda." And then they did <laughs> Twilight Princess, and it was unbelievably boring and horrible yeah. color palette and whatever. And I know a lot of some people really like Twilight Princess. Um, I could never get away with that game. I like the Wolf stuff. I think the the opening prologue sucks. Um, I like what they're going for, yeah. but it never worked for me. Zelda for me is should be twee and should be fairy tale and everything else.
2: It's weird, isn't it? That sometimes the Zelda franchise can take like a weird, like dip it or a different direction, mm. and you'll come up with some of the maddest gameplay elements. Like if somebody told me, sat me down in a boardroom and said, "Right, we're making a new Zelda game," and mm. I was mm. like, "Yep, Wicked Hands on, I'm investing right now." <laughs> and they say, "Yeah, but it's about you're going to be set on a train and it's just going to be on a train track the entire right. time," and mm. I'm going to be like, "I've lost." Interest immediately you have a little pipe, though a little panpipe that's thing, thing. I've lo- I've lost interest in me. but then I actually went and played that game what's it called the phantom track or something phantom like that tracks, yeah. I was like Attacks, sorry. a spiritrise I was like this game is amazing yeah. it is so weird that I am involved in it mm-hmm. 100% well but- I mean
1: they they spun off all the toon link stuff cuz it, it yeah. did sell well it was just this a little pocket of the fandom going like it's not mine <laughs> i want where's the where's the brutal tough zelda that i grew up with
2: thing is is that like I personally uh, have no connection to Twilight Princess I didn't hmm. play it it's one of the very few Zelda games that I actually have avoided just because I right. looked at it I looked at the reviews a lot of people told me that it wasn't worth my time maybe
1: I should give it a go if you love a two and a half hour tutorial my friend it is perfect for you very little in that game. For if, if I can make time. it if I can make it
2: through Akami's 10 hour tutorial I can make it through that
1: <laughs> it's, a, it's a traditional choice let's say um, but yes massive thank you to everybody for sending in their various questions and whatever this has been a the UBP The UBP The UBP The UBP You can find us over on Twitter I'm at slash LP89 Mr. Julian Gill What are you?
2: You can find me over on Twitter At retroj. But The O is a zero
1: Be beautiful This has been the Untitled Panther Podcast And we'll catch you next week Goodbye Bye